Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. Yes, it is about that time. Thank you so much again for tuning into the Market Pulse podcast for this week. My name is Dion. As always, you are listening to episode 59 of the Market Pulse podcast and we've got a couple different things to run over today. We're going to talk about some a little bit of macro stuff at the start. Uh, then we'll go into a couple different company specific things. Uh, we'll explain what happened with Woolworths this week in case you're watching and you saw it drop off. Uh, nothing serious or bad happened. It was just in relation to a demerger. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But I do always like to kick off the podcast and talk about I guess how the market has been for the week that was and in a bit of a role reversal the Australian market uh, has not done so well this week uh, versus say the US market so the ASX 200 last week was actually down it was down 0.8% uh, it would have actually been down a fair bit more than that if it wasn't for Friday we the uh, market here in Australia did sort of rally out to close the week uh, I, I noticed some of the some retail stocks like JB Hi-Fi, uh, some of the online stuff like uh, Kogan and Temple and Webster, they rose at the end of the week too, uh, which is part of more of a broad thing because in terms of the companies that did the best over the five days, um, the top two were actually after paying Kogan. And they're, again, companies we've talked about where uh, they haven't had actually had the best year overall. Uh, in fact, in fact, company like Kogan, for example, has um, fallen back quite significantly, but they managed to notch up about 11% gain for the week that was. In terms of companies that uh, dragged the market for the week, uh, healthcare, or the actual healthcare sector was the biggest dragger for the week last week. And uh, CSL, which is, um, well, it's one of the biggest, it's, it's the one of the biggest healthcare companies in the, the sector here for the market. It's also one of our biggest companies overall on the ASX. Uh, and so because of that, it, it weighs quite a lot. So when it moves, it, it can shift the index quite significantly. It was down almost 7% for the whole week. So that was a big dragger on the week that was. Uh, but over in the States, had a little bit more luck than that. The S&P 500 ended the week up 2.7%. The NASDAQ, pretty similar, it was up 2.35%. There seemed to be a bit of a sentiment shift there in terms of, say, inflation, uh, expectations, um, sort of more reading more into what the Fed's talking about there. And we'll, we'll just touch on that a little bit later. Uh, there was also some companies, I know Nike reported their results and they were really, really good. And I think that sort of, that's tend to tend to sort of give the rest of the market a bit more optimism on how other companies might report because, you know, Nike's just a single company, of course, but um, I guess it gives a bit of an idea of how the economic recovery slash opening up um, slash improving, uh, slightly improving employment market and those stimulus payments have come out over the last year, how that's impacting companies like a Nike. So I guess there's something a bit more tangible. Uh, Nike themselves, I was reading on CNBC that they're starting to see consumers um, splurge again on shoes and uh, their apparel fashion as well. So during the three-month period ending in the end of May, uh, Nike's revenue actually pretty much almost doubled. Um, it was 
$12.34 billion up from $6.31 billion um, in the prior corresponding period. So that period, but back in 2020 when, you know, those kind of sales would have uh, pulled back significantly, especially given it's a, a company that's uh, yeah, active and sporting orientated in, in the type of uh, clothing that they sell. So indicators like that seem to definitely give uh, a really good positive kicker uh, for the week out and hence why you sort of see those broad indices over in the US do pretty well for the week. Okay, before I get into any ASX stuff, I'll talk about some macro stuff. The first thing was, maybe I'll flag this under behavioral stuff. Uh, a very long time ago on this podcast, I think it was back like in episode six. So this is very, very OG days of the podcast, but not that long ago because it was last year. So, um, But I looked at these mobility trend reports that were released by some of the tech giants like Google and Apple and they just showed you know requests for routing purposes so for example if you if you've got an android based phone and you go into google maps uh, and you're wanting to you know just do a, a driving route or a walking or cycling route or a public transport based route like how to get a train from one part of the city to the other they show how those requests and that kind of those mobility requests uh, just fell off the face of the earth, of course, um, during the start of last year when the pandemic hit. And then you can start, start to see that recover uh, and return to some sense of normalcy, depending on you know, how countries handled the virus and how it um, continued to play out. I had a look back at this because I was just looking at very old show notes and I was like, oh, well, let's have a look at what these reports are showing now. Uh, what's interesting is, uh, so this is Apple's data. Apple's data shows that uh, routing requests for driving and walking are now above the baseline. So they, they have like a sort of averaged baseline of of where these uh, of where the data usually kind of sits. And both of them are sitting. Well, this is as of June twenty fifth, so a couple of days ago. Uh, both of them are sitting slightly above that point. And you could see that really in 2021, so in this year here in Australia, those things really picked up. Um, whereas for a lot of last year, they 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 were kind of muted or sitting around that baseline. But, but what's fascinating is that the one that hasn't, I guess you could say recovered, or it hasn't gone back to the kind of levels that it was prior to COVID-19 at all, uh, is routing requests for uh, transit. So that's specifically when you, uh, you know, like sometimes um, I've needed to get home, say from the city, and I, I do like a transit one where it's show me which bus to catch or whether it's quicker to catch a train, all that kind of stuff. So that one is just sitting significantly below normal. And at first I was like, oh, maybe it's because of like a, a public health um, hygiene kind of thing. Maybe people aren't that comfortable catching public transport and I'm, I'm sure that plays a part but probably really what it's showing is the work from home phenomenon phenomenon that's always a hard word to say isn't it <laughs> and and just how that's changed the you know the workplace balance and how often you might go into the office if you have a job where you can both do it from the office and at home and I checked both Apple and Google's mobility data and it's the same for both of them so both of them show that those kind of transit requests are heavily down this is a little bit anecdotal but i will often catch a train to my office or workspace and 
it is quite empty compared like relative to it's definitely picked up like it, it was it, when I first started to catch back to the office last year it was quieter than it is now uh, so it's definitely picked up but it is it's nowhere near as busy as it was uh, before all this happened so that's a little bit interesting and you remember like last year this was say you'd have discussions about this and their impact on particular companies on the market so for example if you're seeing less routing requests for car driving so uh, like you know you just jump in your car and you, and you need to get to a friend's house and you don't know the way to get there so you put their addressing that in turn that kind of behavioral data impacts the sentiment say on a company like Transurban that is in the business of road tolls because if there's less people on the road, you know, there's less tolls um, going through for that company. So those kind of things started to happen last year, which was really interesting. So some other macro stuff I found interesting during the week, the ABS on the 24th of June released um, some business condition sentiment um, indicators, which I was reading through because I was curious about the staffing kind of well, issue, maybe you call it, but... Um, interesting enough, there was a couple key statistics that really stood out uh, from the ABS data. So firstly, in June, they state 27% of businesses report having difficulty finding suitable staff to fill jobs. Another one was almost one in five. So about 20% businesses did not have enough staff based on cu current operations. So one in five saying they don't have enough. Uh, nearly a quarter, they say 23% of businesses expect to increase staff numbers over the next three months. Now, that can be correlated against 8% of businesses reporting that they increased the number of employees in June. The ones that though they say that are experiencing the highest percentage of staff shortages or the, the businesses and what industries they're, on, they're in, rather, uh, construction, uh, so they made up 29% of the data that's talking about staff shortages and then retail trade at uh, 27%. In terms of those factors that are playing into why they're having that difficulty, uh, firstly, obviously the uh, we've talked about the job market is improving, the unemployment rate continues to go down. Now, some of the businesses in this report are actually reporting that they're, it's either a mix between they actually have a lack of applicants, so to pick from, or that the ones that do apply aren't actually, maybe they don't have the right skills or qualifications for the role that they're applying for. Another big issue that's happening, which is happening in a lot of parts of the world, but say happening in Australia is our border closure. So we're not having you know, the X amount of migrant workers enter the country that would normally enter each year um, to take up some of the the uh, employment that's that's out there, and so one concern at the moment, or not, maybe it's not a concern because it depends on who you are. Uh, if it's for me, for example, like personally, like this would be great. But the what's being talked about now is potential for wage increase, or because this has been something that it's just been non-existent in Australia, broadly speaking. For quite a long time, uh, it's been a big blame factor on lack of inflation in Australia, which is uh, uh, lack of wage growth. And now as the employment market starts to, well, say the unemployment rate starts to come down and if there is more competition for the people out there that are skilled enough to do jobs, then logically 
economics says that then there should be a push on wage growth because say if X company really needs me to fill a position because they just can't find anyone, maybe that gives me leeway to argue a pay rise with my boss or potentially just jump over to that firm because they're going to offer me an extra you know, five, $10,000 or whatever it is um, to do that job. So logically, that's the kind of situation that uh, many economists are, are talking about now, like this perhaps a return to having some wage growth. I think it's maybe a little bit too early to, to say to call it yet, uh, but that's something worth watching out for. And this kind of relates to all of this, but there was a couple of things uh, in the media during the week around inflation. So firstly, the over in the US, the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, he was speaking at the start of the week and his uh, opinion at the moment, um, this higher inflation that they're seeing in the US, uh, Jerome Powell is saying that they think it's temporary and will and will just wane off eventually as uh, perhaps supply bottlenecks and supply chain issues start to uh, smoothen out a little bit. Uh, he was talking specifically about where you've seen price gains in goods such as car, like used cars, airplane tickets, hotel rooms. And he's, I don't want to paraphrase him, but he's basically saying that, that demand has, you know, come back in quite strongly onto some of those things because, you know, they weren't available for such a long time and suddenly demand um, comes, especially because the US has gone into summer as well. So the idea of traveling and vacations and booking a hotel room has uh, increased. And he is sort of saying that, that he said that they don't speak to a broadly tight economy, uh, but, which is the kind of thing that would lead to inflation over time. So he's saying there's very specific things, but not uh, an indicator of the, the broad economy and inflation. And then this week, the not the governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia, but the assistant, assistant governor, um, just quoting here in the Australian Financial Review, uh, they were talking to the idea of supply chain inflation and because you've seen like, I'm not sure if, if people listening to this podcast have heard of things like the shortfall in semiconductor chips and that's causing issues in anything that uses a semiconductor, so even cars, so like car manufacturers are having problem getting them in. Like Ford is having their reported issues when they reported their results of um, getting semiconductors, even for things like, you know, just tech devices like smartphones. Uh, the... But anyway, the assistant governor for the RBA said uh, she's quoted as saying exporters are trying to catch up on backlogs of past orders as well as deal with high levels of new orders. Uh, but it's reasonable to expect that these disruptions will ease over time as bottlenecks are dealt with and health-related constraints on production ease. And again, all of this is coming back to there's various opinions on exactly when and how much the Reserve Bank of Australia will lift interest rates. Obviously, they are watching the inflation scenario at the moment. I noticed this week that, for example, HSBC, Chiefs Economist, uh, said that they didn't think the RBA would be quick to lift interest rates here in Australia. The uh, State Street Global Advisors, which is a huge um, investment and fund manager, didn't they said more of the same. But then, say, CBA, the nation's biggest retail bank, they expected rates to start um, going up from next year. Now, I'm not saying either are right or wrong, but um, that's kind of this interesting play out of these differing opinions at the moment. 
in terms of how it say affects you if maybe you've got a home loan, it does tend to seem like the rates that we've seen is that the fixed rates that they're as low as low can be, they have probably already hit as low as they've ever gonna that they're gonna be over the next few years because that kind of relates more to uh, the bank's access to cheap funding uh, from the RBA, which has come which has come to an end. And in terms of, I guess, when we see interest rates go up regardless, don't know. Like I said, I've expressed a little bit of uh, skepticism on the inflation issue at the moment, although I'm somewhat swayed by the idea of the problem with supply chains at the moment because that's um, certainly a problem and has impacted the price of, uh, you know, not just some of the things we've uh, mentioned like used car market or uh, tech-related parts like semiconductors but even just raw commodities like just timber for example because uh, not only again and this kind of talks to what the RBA assistant governor was saying there's a there's this kind of clash between they're trying to catch up on you know delays caused by COVID because uh, of supply chain issues and then they're hit by this huge rush on demand because as the economy starts to improve and get a bit more healthier, people are like, I would like to buy a new car or I would like to renovate my bathroom or I'd like to buy build a deck out the back. And that kind of stuff has caught up. And then maybe that also relates to why businesses like we've mentioned, say in the construction industry, are finding it harder to get uh, find suitable employees because uh, maybe that's an indicator that they're really busy at the moment. But that's something we'll keep on watching Okay, we're going to talk about some ASX-specific stuff. Firstly, a company, not one that's traded on the ASX, but one that you can use to trade on the ASX. So there's a, well, soon to be, I should say. Uh, We're going to talk about Stake. They've announced this week that they're entering the ASX, as in entering um, the ability for their customers to trade and to um, buy and sell stocks on the ASX. And we're going to also talk about Woolworths. You might have noticed it drop off during the week and a bit of news related to that and that has to do with a demerger that Woolworths has done and so we'll get into a little bit more detail about that. So firstly, Stake, uh, you might have heard of it. It is a US stock trading app, as in you can trade US shares on stake. Uh, they came in as a bit of a, I guess a bit of a challenger to the existing market because they don't, uh, you don't pay brokerage like traditional sort of brokerage fee, be that a percentage or fixed on the trade you make. You do, however, pay an FX fee. So I guess the money that they're making on your trade is in relation to the actual conversion of currency because if you want to buy say a US share uh, you have to convert your Australian dollars to US dollars first. Interestingly I noticed that uh, during the week uh, there was a report about just I guess the news at stake were because they released it um, like a public release just saying that they're going to enter I should stop saying enter they're going to allow ASX trading for their customers I think later this year I think in the I think third or fourth quarter later this year Um, And one of the big reasons is they have about 350,000 customers and who will use them to trade US stocks. But of course, 
they would any for any of those customers also trade or invest in Australian stocks, uh, they would be using different platforms. So I'm sure there's a grab there to try and um, get their customers to use them for everything, not just uh, US stocks. It's interesting because there's this. When I say there's been a few sort of cheaper brokerage offering style platforms enter the market over the last couple of years. Self-Wealth is definitely a big one. Um, Superhero is a much newer one. It came in, I'm pretty sure it was last year when it started. Uh, Stake is US trading based, but then soon to be ASX trading as well. And it sort of seems like there's this, I guess like a race to the bottom because brokerage for a long time was um, pretty much the same amongst the platforms, especially the ones that were um, say issued by the big banks. Um, and then other big players in the retail trade space uh, like a CMC Markets or an IG Markets and things like that. But they've all, all, all of those ones, including the ones offered by the banks like a, a Comsec and NAB Trade, they've all done changes to their brokerage over the last few years, either by offering cheaper levels for, say, smaller trades or just overall lowering, lowering their brokerage altogether. Because in the US, there's this, and we've talked about the phenomenon of Robinhood, which is one of the platforms there where it's completely free. But of course, they make money on your trading data, which is its own sort of controversial thing in its in itself. Uh, but it kind of seems like in Australia, like we might be slowly heading just lower and lower because there's more of these, you know, fintech-based platforms that are coming on and just challenging um, the status quo. Now, there's not too much more to say about this news because they weren't specific on you know, what actually brokerage costs will be and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, how, Whether they'll have like a HIN, so um, like a, a HIN number assigned to your account, like chess sponsorship. So we don't really know all that stuff yet. So I'm sure that'll come out later and we can touch on that on a future episode. Um, but an app that's made it very easy to invest in US shares entering... Um, the Australian market uh, pretty soon. So the other one I wanted to mention was Woolworths. So a noticeable bit of news this week regarding Woolworths and it's completed a demerger of one of the brands under the Woolworths banner, which is called Endeavour Group. Now you'd be completely forgiven if you're wondering what in the world Endeavour Group is. It's obviously a vague name, but effectively this is the part of the Woolworths business that is um, alcohol uh, sales like retail alcohol sales, hotels, like I mean like pubs and that kind of stuff and then subsequently the pokies uh, that are in those hotels and pubs. So it's dubbed, you know, Endeavor Group itself is dubbed, you know, a quote-unquote sin stock, which we'll get into in a second. But Endeavor most, most famously includes uh, Dan Murphy's, uh, BWS. There's some smaller liquor retail brands, uh, Shorty's, Jimmy Brings, they're all their alcohol retail offerings. And then there's the other side of Endeavor Group, which is property-based, so uh, hotel-based uh, mostly. According to their general meeting, which uh, their presentation was the other week, they have a total of 332 hotel venues. And then within that, they have about 12,300 electronic gaming machines, aka poking machines. This actually reminded me of a really great piece I read in The Economist about Three years ago, I actually had to dig it up when I was doing some notes for the show just to refresh my memory. But um, it talks about Australian, well, it talks about worldwide gambling related 
statistics and focuses on Australia in the article. They're quite depressing in all seriousness, but a, a, bit, of, a bit of a good insight in exactly how much we spend uh, or I probably should say lose, how much we lose to gambling services like the pokies each year. Uh, and the economists were basically writing up this article and reporting on data that came from a consultancy group, uh, which they featured in the article. And firstly, it found that the average Australian adult lost $990 to gambling in 2016. So the average Australian adult lost $990. And that is a higher average per adult cost or loss, whatever you want to say, than countries like Ireland, the US, New Zealand, Canada, England, Italy, most, pretty much all of the EU. Actually, it's pretty much anywhere in the world. And if you read it for yourself, the, the actual title of the Economist article, if you want to find it, it's called Australians Spend More on Gambling Than, mo- uh, than People Anywhere Else. And just to clarify that point, it doesn't mean we spend the most as like a total figure, right? So because we're, you know, we're a small country compared to some of the countries I just named there in terms of population. But what it's taking is the amount we spend relative to the population. So the amount, the average amount lost or spent per adult. Uh, secondly, what's really interesting about Australian specific gambling versus the, the rest of the world is this prevalence of pokey machines. It's such a, a unique factor and it doesn't really show up in other countries like quite like it does here in Australia. So pokies are by far the most of a percentage of what makes up our overall losses. So most of it is lost to pokies. Um, it's about it's a pretty much about 50% or slightly under 50% of the total losses to gambling in Australia. Uh, second after that is casino losses. So and that's interesting because that can include pokies again. So when I said pokies before making up about 50%, that's non-casino pokies. So that's just, you know, at the bowls club or the surf club or pubs and hotels. So those ones are the ones that get everyone. And then casinos are the the next uh, biggest loss factor. And then if you put that aside to Australia, then you look at countries like the US, its losses are primarily to casinos and lotteries. That's their big thing. In Ireland, for example, the UK is pretty big on online gambling and betting. So I assume that's like wagering on you know sports and things like that. Actually, one country I noticed in the data that had a similar affinity for the poking machine was actually Italy, uh, almost making up half of their losses. So we are the same as our Italian brethren in that we hit the, uh, hit the buttons on the screen and hope for the best. That circles that just really made me sound like I don't know anything about pokies, doesn't it? I don't. I honestly don't understand the appeal of pokies. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I have played pokies once, and I think I put like twenty bucks in, and then I very quickly understood. I'm like, oh, I understand why this is addictive because I won maybe like fifty bucks or something, and very quickly, and I was like, oh no, I get it now because it kind of made me want to keep playing. So I kind of, I kind of understand it. But it's just so stupid, right? Anyway, um, this kind of random side tangent circles us back to Endeavor Group because they own a lot of these machines. Um, they're actually one of the biggest gaming machine companies outside of the two. Well, they will be because they're listed on the ASX now outside of the two casino operators on the ASX, which is Star and Crown. Um, so basically, Woolworths took the alcohol stores like Dan Murphy's, BWS, the hotels they own and all those pokey machines bundled up and they've called this Endeavor Group 
as its own entity and spun it off. Um, so it's listed on the ASX by itself now. So it's under ticket code EDV. Um, they closed out the week at about $6.10 per share. And if you go look at the Woolworth share price, they're down about $6 as well, uh, which kind of makes sense because Woolworths have lost a chunk of their overall business. And if they're valuing, say, the Endeavor Group at $6 per share, then it's probably going to uh, equate to that in the Woolworth share price. So the big picture here is if, if you're a Woolworth shareholder, uh, you receive one share in this Endeavor Group for every share of Woolworths that you own. It's a very extremely similar thing that happened, uh, for example, when West Farmers demerged Coles. Uh, this, I'm pretty sure it was exactly the same. I think for every West Farmers share you had, you got one share in Coles as well. And the West Farmers share fell by about the price of what Coles were trading at on its first day. So that's what happened. If you're curious, I guess, why there was a big share price drop at the end of the week for Woolworths, nothing actually went wrong. They're just demerging part of this uh, part of the business that they owned or they did fully own this Endeavor Group. And interesting enough, there's been a lot of talk this week about you know how this company will go, uh, Endeavor Group that is, because there's this rise of what's called ethical and or sustainable investing. Endeavor would not be um, acceptable in some kind of ethical, sustainable fund because it's all just alcohol and gambling mostly but no not mostly pretty much the whole thing and and esg investing is very popular now small plug if you want to learn a little bit more about esg investing you can go back to episode 38 that was a entire episode just on esg investing but yeah there was there was uh, i noticed that in a couple outlets um not just the afr but a few other outlets i were talking to fund managers who thought that just due to the nature of Endeavor Group being one of these sin stocks, they're going to trade on a little bit of a discount because of that. And they're very, very likely to not be featured in many of these new funds um, that are ethically focused. Uh, even it's not just funds that trade on the market, it's entire super funds uh, now that um, look to get, you know, remove themselves from um, those kind of companies that might not be morally positive. I suppose. I don't know. So that's something to, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because there's a company that's been spun off, but might, it'd be interesting to see how it, I guess, how it goes by itself, you know, versus when it was sort of hidden, not hidden, but like it was part of the overall Woolworths banner. It's actually kind of the kind of thing, and most people know that Woolworths own like Dan Murphy's and stuff, but probably a lot of people didn't know that they owned all these like hotels and, and pokies and stuff as well. It's probably, um, a bit of a surprise for people that don't own Woolworths shares or, or watch their um, their updates every year. So that's what's happened with Woolworths. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. But that is it for episode 59 of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you do have questions or comments for the show, you can email them in to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. As I always say, leave a like or review or a star rating on whatever your podcast platform is of choice. But that is it. That's where I'll leave you for this week. Thank you again for tuning in. Hope you have a great week yourself. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Cheers.